Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody. Dragon Talk, Dragon, Dragon Talk. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Which you wouldn't know from listening to this opening. But it is. No joke, this is the official. (laughs) Gonna sing it all the time. I am Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. And we have fantastic guests for you today. We have, you might know him as R.A. Salvatore, mm-hmm. but we like to refer to him as Bob. Or Bobby. Bobby is coming on to talk about Starlight Enclave, the novel, the most recent novel in The Legend of Drist that is out now everywhere. Go pick it up, listen to it, enjoy the ongoing adventures of Drist Dorden. You have to say it like that. Dorden! Dorden! Um, and he's a fantastic guy, that Bob Salvatore. So really uh, give a listen. Friend of the podcast. He's been with us for a long, long time. Yes, he has. Been writing for a long, long time. Yeah, many, many years. Uh, what did he say? 33 years he's been yeah. doing this? Yeah. That's a lot of years. It really is to be writing and writing out that same character. And keeping it fresh, man. Keeping it fresh. Fresh, hot, and important, I might even say. I would agree. We also uh, have a fun insight check with Sydney Adams, game designer on Dungeons and Dragons, as well as uh, previously on Magic the Gathering. So you'll get to learn a little bit about what she does uh, here in the, I was going to say building, but it's the Aww. proverbial building of Wizards right. of the Coast. On the team. I imagine that a lot of people might be interested to hear about the day-to-days of a game designer. Yeah. And we consistently get pretty good feedback on the Twitters from people who are enjoying that segment uh, to learn a little bit about what's it, you know what's it like working on a game like D anD D. So I am also very much enjoying these segments as well because a lot of the people that we've talked to are people that we haven't even met in person yet. It's so true. <laughs> this is a, this is our <laughs> world now. We have to invite them onto our podcast to meet them. <laughs> Isn't it? It's going to be so weird to see these people in real life and be like, oh my God, you're so tall. In my mind, I always just pictured you to be not that tall. Yeah, right. You're, you're from chest up. That's all you are in, in this world. Right. Of quarantines. It's, yeah, but I mean, like some people do like present an air of tall, you know? Mm. Uh, and I'm just curious. Am I right? Am I right? Uh, I was apparently incorrect about Natalie because she did present to me an air of tallness, um, but she did inform me that she is about five two or so. Oh, that is that is not tall. No, I mean I guess it's tall for a halfling. Yeah, she's a tall halfling. She's a tall halfling. Yeah. Yeah, not not tall uh, for a Tabaxi. Drunky is actually very tall. Oh yeah, very tall. That's why she sticks out like a sore cat. It's one of the reasons. One of the many, many reasons. I love her so much. She's she's my favorite. <sighs> um, but also my favorite is The Wild Beyond the Witch Light coming oh out gosh. on September 21st. A fantastic Feywild adventure in which you will learn very many new things about how the Feywild operates and what fairies are like in that world. Um, I, oh, I can't wait. I honestly, I got to get a game going here. 
someone has to get me in a game. What do I got to do? What do I got to yeah. do? I've got to go. You know what I'm, I'm excited about? And I uh, know I I know I always talk about this, but the carnival. So, the witch like carnival itself. There's a lot of things that you can do at that carnival that are just like just for funsies. You can play all these different carnival games. You can meet some interesting people, NPCs around the carnival. And so anybody could just put the carnival in whatever game and yeah. just and never even use it as like, you know, anything other than just a carnival. It's just the carnival that comes to your town. So I was thinking like, what if like that's how I gently dip my toe into being a DM? Because you're not you totally being a DM so much as just being like, do you want to come to some snail races? Okay, I can... I can tell you how this works, right? Do it. Am I wrong? I think you're totally right. Um, and I got at least one player ready to go for you. I was vacuuming my carpet, and I found <laughs> I was about to vacuum this up, and I'm like, "What is that? Is that a bug? Oh no! What is this? This is gross!" And I pick it up, and it is one of the very old, uh, not very old, but you know, in the last ten years or so, WizKids miniatures for a fairy. <gasps> and it was, I'd given it to Edna a long time ago and she loved Weird. it and she played it and she lost it. And I discovered it before it went into the world of the vacuum cleaner. And I gave it back to her and I was like, hey, you know, there actually are rules on how to play as fairies in the new D&D thing that's coming out. And she was like, and? what? Like she she did like a double, double take. Uh, and she's like, I want to do it. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a carnival and they go into the Feywild, like where fairies are from. And she's like, let's do it. I want to do it. Can we play right now? That see, so, I fully believe that is how a lot of young kids are going to get into D anD D is through this adventure because they're right. going to have that same reaction with at least one old mom who's going to be their DM at the carnival. Um, at the carnival, I'm going to be like Star, the displacer beast that stays with the lost children. I love it. I love um, it. So, just interesting enough, I'm thinking about your little fairy miniature yeah. that almost got vacuumed up. And then yeah. I was thinking, well, what if that's like the portal to the Feywild? I know. <laughs> what I if that's what it feels like? You're like, describing Whoa! It, I was Whoa! like, oh my God. <laughs> you just get sucked in, dropped in a cloud of dust into this beautiful land of Prismere. Or maybe it's dusty. actually the Shadowfell. The upside down. Definitely feels more like a, the entry to the Shadowfell would be sucking you up into a vacuum. I feel like portal to the Feywild would be like walking through just a panel of roses and yeah. soft, gentle things. A nice gateway in the woods, M- perhaps. Music and like some a nice lute player as you just walk on a nice pathway. <laughs> and yeah. then everything goes to adventure. Uh, I like it. I like yeah. it. All right, well, sign up me and Edna. We are on board. Uh, We're going to the you, carnival. Uh, to DM. Yeah, I'm going to do a little more reading up on that. It feels <laughs> You're immediately like... walking back that decision. <laughs> I'm going be... <laughs> to... Well, now that there's actual players. <laughs> yeah, right. Then you're like, you're sweating. You're all of a sudden oh, the anxiety comes. Can you tell? Oof, I yes, need a powder. Yes. You oh. can do it, Shelly. You can do it. There's no stress. I mean, I feel like I should be able to, like, for you to be like, I want to go to the gnome poetry contest. And I can just be like, okay, all right. let's go. It's your nice. turn. Is that like the Vogon poetry? Uh, I hope it is. It's good. like it's like a poetry slam from the early right. '90s, but it's poetry yeah. that's so bad that it it, uh, it it causes you physical harm. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm going to work that in now. I like it. You have just taken eight points of damage from your psychic damage, psychic damage from your own poem. <laughs> I've, I have right. found some of my old poems from middle school, and believe me, there is a lot of psychic damage to be held. Oh, I, I feel, I feel for you, and yeah. it's hurting us. It's hurting us from through time. I love yep. it. Yep. Uh, well, there's that coming up. You can play and get excited about it uh, as we prepare for D and D celebration. That is an online event where you can play in a fantastic, huge epic with tons of uh, D&D players all contributing to the same story. There are tons of panels, streamed games, and lots of gathering happening on the D&D Discord channel. So uh, look for more information on that to come out in the weeks to come leading up to September 23rd through the 26th. Mark your calendars to play tons of D&D in the Feywild, and maybe even some other planes of existence. Maybe some other little, like, preview things. And by planes of existence, I mean actual biplanes from World War One. So a little Axis and Allies crossover? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Uh, the Herengon versus the fairies versus the zombies. <laughs> Fun stuff. Axis and Allies and Prismere. Um, and then you mentioned other books. We got Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons coming in October and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos following on its heels in November. It's back to back to back. Great yeah. storytelling. And I can't wait for people to take some of the stuff from all of these books and create another amazing magical tale uh, at their D&D table. There is no reason that you can't play a party of dragons who attend Strixhaven University and visit the Witchlight Carnival. That happens to be visiting your campus Mash them for the all first up. time in eight years. There's no reason you can't do that. How Make cool them gem that? dragonborns, and you're all you're you're getting it all in there. Get them in there. Yeah, I love it. Sweet. All right. Well, that's all coming, and we will be talking about it more in the weeks to come here on Dragon Talk. Thank you for listening, as always, and yes. we would like to throw it to our. Fun insight check with Sydney Adams before we talk to Bob Salvatore. So let's uh, let's call up Sydney. Let's welcome Sydney Adams to Inside Check. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks Very for excited to be us. here to learn about your work as a game designer on Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and, you know, I, I, to learn a little bit about you. So let me just start yeah. where I rolled, I rolled an eight. Uh, okay. So maybe with my, <laughs> wisdom, my wisdom modifier is not maybe that I good. Can so help that's probably like a nine that. total. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about you. Oh yeah, sure. So yes, I am, uh, Sydney Adams and I am a game designer on the Dungeons and Dragons, um, team. I, uh, recently helped contribute to Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, and I'm going to be working on some exciting stuff that will be so sh- shown soon. So looking oh. forward to that coming out when it does, <laughs> that being whatever it is. 
mystery. You only got an eight, yeah, so there I can't you tell you that much. Damn it, right? Greg. We could have found out. <laughs> I know, right? She went right in on the uh, uh, stuff she can't talk about. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, um, I was previously a designer on Magic the Gathering, and I'm best known for my work on um, Black is Magic, The Secret Lair. That was the philanthropic drop for Black Girls Code. Which... I uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that just because I know we're, I know we're talking about D and D here, but that yes, was such yes. an impactful, amazing project that you were the creative lead for, correct? Yes, and there's yes. also a really cool connection between you and Black Girls Code that I recently learned. Yeah, yeah. Um, back when I was in grad school, I used to volunteer as just like a technical support person, you know, like running like Lego robotics and like little <laughs> workshops, you know, with like teenagers who were way cooler than I was and, <laughs> uh, you know and uh, it was really a wonderful experience just to even have that experience of just seeing a bunch of little black girls running around all caring about stem fields which are you know traditionally fields where we are not pushed to go right so like from that experience um I continued to keep a relationship with the chapter when I moved here to Washington and um yeah, it, it, it was really great to have that moment where I could give back um, and really sort of see, I, I feel like they sort of quietly saw me grow, right? Like from like a tiny backpack wearing very overburdened grad student running on ego waffles and spunk, you know, to like <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this person who now can give back in a meaningful way. And that, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm sure it meant a lot to them as well, you know, to to see you as the, as that role model and someone who who looks like them and a career path that they are interested in following as well. So yeah, it's it's crazy how much you just need um, permission, you know. Like it's not even necessarily like just having the means to do it. Like that's an entire different conversation when it comes to resourcing. But having somebody say like, yeah, you can do that even just having that idea in your head, like yeah. it, it's very powerful. It's something that all, I think, fantasy fans latch onto too, right? I mean, it's that idea of being able to 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 do great things, to topple, you know, tyrannical governments, to, to, yeah. you know, to get the treasure, right? And I, and I feel like you, uh, you know, contributed to that. Uh, were you a fan Thank of- you. In real life. Yeah, <laughs> were you a fan of fantasy growing up? Oh, big, big, huge, like- uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I actually knew about longer before I actually discovered magic. Like I've been role-playing for the longest. I've played, uh, a lot of the discontinued D&D, like our MMO, MMORPGs that were like, you know, gonna get off the ground. <laughs> I may, may have, I may have maxed out my Neverwinter character. I may have <laughs> too many books of maybe every book in D&D and the alt cover, um, and I may have also taught myself to be DM so I could force my family to play with me. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was the one thing that was, uh, you know, a, a, a nice tie in during the pandemic was, uh, you know, I live away from my family. We're all in scattered different places. But uh, during the sort of heat of it on Sundays, we would um, like I, I basically said, like, look, I will DM. I will make your character sheets and those character sheets will just be you. All you have to do is play yourself. Don't worry about the fantasy. Cause I wanted to sort of remove the barrier until they were yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. So I was like, all right, your name is Jocelyn and your 
yourself, but you may or may not have a sword. Right. <laughs> and then I just, <laughs> yeah. And then I just, uh, you know, me and my group of cousins and I just kind of hooked them in the story and they were looking forward to Sundays. And, you know, that was really, really nice that, um, we could play together and imagine, you know, and I even made myself an NPC in the world because I made it a zombie apocalypse sort of fantasy thing where we all went on vacation and then things went crazy. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, you know, they had already battled past all these zombies and they'd made it to the city um, and they didn't have service. And then their phone finally rings and it's my NPC who's at the Airbnb and is like, hey, where is everybody? And why is the power out? So oh now they have God. to return to the house to save me. <laughs> like nice. the meta, right? <laughs> That's super cool. So this was like a modern day d yes, obviously, if we've yes. got Airbnb and cell phones. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, the one thing that I really love about D&D is that it really is um, just really it's a set of tools for the imagination yeah. in the same way that you it requires imagination to conceive a career in STEM or game design. It's the same imagination that you can apply to the product. It's the same imagination you can apply to your adventures and the rules sort of help you so you're not fully making it up your entire, you know, the entire thing, you have a guideline and then you can just embellish. And that was basically a stepping point for then me to do something, um, a bit more serious and a bit more fantasy driven in, um, in, in a more traditional setting. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I've 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 heard that used, in, you know, in many ways to try to get people who are maybe uncomfortable with the fantasy or maybe uncomfortable with role playing, just to be like, oh, be yourself. Um, but I'm so glad that it works in this context uh, as well yeah. as Zoom. Oh yeah, yeah. We tried a couple things. It was Zoom, and then it was uh, Google Meets, and then it was Discord. Like, you you still have to sort of sort it out. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's hard to escape a good story. Yeah. Yeah, when you put when you put it that way, like you know, this is we're meeting up every Sunday, and we're just we're telling stories, and that's how it is. Yeah, um, yeah, I I love it. You got you got to meet them where they are. So I I really like the idea of the modern day D and D. I remember when D twenty modern was mm-hmm. a thing. I always really liked that. Like mm. I just you know, I. Sometimes when I'm just walking the dog, I fancy myself a wizard. And I'm like, what yeah. if I could cast a magic missile right now? I, I think that like media in the last, I'll, I'll make it broad, let's say 10 years, has really um, democratized fantasy in a lot of ways. Like I think the average person doesn't think that they, uh, you know, they might not think, oh, I love fantasy. Yeah. But like we've all seen some version of some sort of magical school we've all participated in you know vampires and mermaids and uh you know ghosts in some sort of way like there's a lot more fantasy in our normal like everyday lives than we may not even like consider like our mascots on cereal count chocula you know like <laughs> lucky <laughs> like, from lucky charms lucky charms he's a whole leprechaun so it's like you have fantasy and just the everyday that we don't necessarily like to call out but then it seems like such a far stretch to be like well i'm not gonna be a wizard now like no like it 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 really is just meeting people where they're at i think yeah um 
Tony and, the Tiger think, is totally a, a, a druid, a wild shaped druid. Now that I'm thinking right, of, yeah. you can't. Now you can't. I can't unsee it. Yeah. Right, he's got that bandana on. Right, like that's always that had part of him. Children. He's yeah. actually Fred from Scooby Doo. <laughs> <Listen. laughs> it's all connected. wild shaped in. To Tony the Tiger. That makes total sense. I'm excited. Oh. Well, now that you are an actual wizard, or you know, have been an actual wizard for for, for many years, uh, what's what's? I mean, I know people. You can't talk about projects you're working on, and yeah, no like, but what is that? What's that kind of day to day thing of being a game designer uh, really mm. like uh, for those who who may want to be aspiring game designers yes. out there? Um, I always tell folks that like it is as fun as you think, and it is it is as boring as you think. Right. Um, because like as much as I really do get to enjoy seeing the products come to their final phase and being able to like, you know, sometimes it's digital, sometimes it's paper and getting to actually experience it before that comes just a lot of meetings, a lot of word and a lot of Excel. Right. Mm -hmm. Like those are the the tools of the trade when it just comes to, I, I think, especially when you have these analog, you know, tabletop games, like you will be working in a lot more analog things. But typically, um, you know, I get to enjoy a lot of world building and sort of thought exercises. So when I'm on these teams, uh, you know, I, I know what I'm doing before I sort of enter. They sort of tell you, oh, you're on this team to contribute game design. You're on this team to write this kind of text. You're on the team to you know, create art descriptions. So the good thing about, you know, a formalized or a AAA sort of game company experience as opposed to an indie is that you always know what you're doing. Mm. Um, but in terms of actually execution, then that's where the fun sort of happens. And it's that balance of, okay, how do I make something really interesting and, you know, that speaks to my experience, that that offers the thing that only I can do as a designer while still um, having the role of stewardship, right? Which is definitely D&D. It's been around for a very long time, a couple decades. Like by, by, my, by maintaining the tone that's expected and then also accomplishing the brief, right? Yeah. Like if someone says, hey, write 500 words about mermaids and I show up and I'm like, I wrote about harpies because it was better. Like that <laughs> is, that, that is not, you can't do it, you know? And some, and, and I think that that's what uh, throws a lot of young designers because they don't, uh, they don't expect the constraints, mm. especially when you're a student, you just have to throw things at the wall and hope something sticks. And that level of freedom and chaos, like it is, it, it, it's it's almost nostalgic now looking back at it, you know, like <laughs> the days when I would spend an entire night on Unity, like building a maze and being like, yeah, this is going to be the best maze ever. Like just just madness. Right. Like and and thinking like, how would I have reacted if somebody had told me love that maze? Um start over and make it an underwater maze. Like, would I have just flipped the table? Would I have been mm -hmm. able to have the resilience of, you know, foresight to be like, oh yeah, no, this is what needs to be done. And I think that uh, being a designer on D&D is, it, it's definitely fun. Like there's always something different. There's always something new and you sort of have to stay on your toes to be able to react. Um, because you never know what's going to come down the pipeline, but you do know that whatever it is, you're going to be able to, you need to be able to be flexible, you know? Yeah. What type of um, 
design do you gravitate towards? I mean, you got such a varied you know, <laughs> history and experience, right? With 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 uh, with digital games as well as tabletop games, working on all these things. Like, do you like dungeon design? Do you like monsters? Do you like adventure mm. writing? Do you like uh, uh, none of those things? Like, wh- wh- where where <laughs> does your your passion lie? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. I, I definitely, I, I think I definitely enjoy adventure writing probably is like my number one, just because I love stories and it's just, it's easy for me to be like, it's easy for me to default to stories. It takes an additional level of effort for me to actually make my brain do other things. Mm. Um, not saying I can't like I my second is monster design because there's just something very fascinating about the way that um, the mechanics work. Like, I really think it's interesting that a party of four one level characters, you know, should be able to complete the battle within this many rounds. And then if it doesn't work that way, then it's somehow broken. And then you need to start tweaking these numbers and it's, these subtle little moments. And then you also get story on top of that because then you get to create the background of the character or this creature that you're making and you get to create the way that they look, you know, in the art description. So it is really a full sort of service treatment when it comes to monster design as well. And I, and I think um, one thing that we're very good at is when we know that there are interchangeable parts we try to keep the designers sort of together. So if we know um, I'm doing an adventure and I know I need three different monsters in this adventure, sometimes I will also get to design those monsters because they're relevant to the adventure and I would sort of know best what those monsters should look like and function as. And then a, a higher level designer will you know, vet it and then we'll have our folks who are a bit more uh, technical and um, you know, finessed at the creature um, stat creation, go over that. But really, it's it's this fun aspect. Like, I kind of like to have my hands in a lot of things. Um, I feel like I would never be satisfied if I had to only do story or if I only had to do mechanics. Mm. So getting to do both is pretty, is pretty fun for me. Yeah, it's well, makes you well-rounded as well, it sounds like. Um, oh, yeah, it, that left-right brain. Just- yeah. <laughs> with someone so someone who has a long history with D&D like you do was there anything that surprised you about coming to work at Wizards uh or coming to work on the brand uh, anything that you were nervous about discovering like I I used to be you know I'm passionate about music I'm not a musician mm. I just love music um and I used to you know love going to see bands and you know, mm. like finding new artists and stuff and I Got, I thought that's where my career would take me was in the music industry, and I did work mm-hmm. for um, record labels prior to coming to work for Wizards. Oh, wow. and, it, and it actually wasn't it it wasn't what I wanted it to be. It was kind of like, oh, I see too much, and I don't want to know. Like, you know, you know, how the sausage is made. I did not want to enjoy see. breakfast again. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I love these people too much. I can't do that. Hopefully, you have not had experiences where you're like, God, no, this can't be. Um, but mm. was there anything you know like that surprised you about working on on a brand that you've been familiar with for many years? Um. I, I think uh, in some ways I was lucky because this was my first um, sort of major AAA experience, like my most, you know, 
FTE with benefits, like physical building, not just meeting in communal space kind of thing. Um, yeah. And uh, so I didn't really come in with too many expectations because I didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, I will say I was surprised by how small the teams are. Yeah. Like, like when you think of like, oh, these games, you're like, oh, they've got, you know, so much staff. And when they're teaching you what game design is like when you're in school, they tell you about all the different roles and you have this and that and you have a narrative designer and you have this. Uh, that is very dependent on the company. And our company, we definitely fold in some roles in some ways. So like the D&D team is quite small. I think uh, people would be surprised by how small it is with everybody being able to push out the level of product that we do. Um, and even Magic Side, they have a much larger team, but the actual like exploratory teams and the actual set design teams are smaller groups, you know, like no more, I think, than eight, 10, you know, like, and so I think what's, what was both, um, was a little bit shocking, but I think was ultimately a good thing is I didn't realize how much my uh, voice would matter or could matter mm. if I um, <laughs> if if I really wanted it to matter. You know, like there's a certain level of stituitiveness you need to have or doggedness or tenacity or whatever you want to call, like AKA obsession that you need to get an idea through, but it was possible. And that's not always uh, a guarantee. And I, I and I appreciated that about the company. That's super cool, right? The, yeah. the idea that like if you're just, you know, one out of a thousand employees, you're not going to be able to make as much of a, 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 a huge change or it would be harder to do that. But if you're just one out of eight or ten, you know, you can yeah. push forward that idea and make it sure and be that champion the whole way through. Yeah. Um, and, and it may not come out the exact way that you had hoped. It may not be exactly what you thought it was would be when you concepted it. But it is possible to get it out there. And I think that, you know, having that, it, it, it provides room, I think, for for products like Black is Magic. And I hope that we continue to have that room in our brands in the future. I love all that. It's so good. All right. So uh, I rolled a nine this time on the die, uh, but no lies uh, detected. Uh, I think everything there is, is on the up and up. Sydney. Yeah, no, it takes too much brain space to think about lying while also <laughs> opening my mouth and making the words sound good. So, <laughs> well, you've definitely given some insight to 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 us uh, and hopefully to listeners uh, about yeah. uh, you know what you've been doing, and I think it's it's all uh, amazing, and I, I I can't wait to see. You know, you mentioned having some some work in Fizzbands, Treasury of Dragons, but I can't wait to see yeah. you know the tendrils of what you're doing uh, in, in in products. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited, you know, definitely excited for what's coming. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Sydney. Uh, we'll let you get Thank back. you so much for inviting me. This was fun. This was awesome. fun. Thank you. Man, I love talking to people on the D&D team Me always, too. but even more so during these times uh, when we get to hang out with uh, with folks who are new to the D&D team through Inside yeah. Check. Um, I, now I kind of want to be a game designer. There you go. I feel like it's a fun job, at least the way Sydney describes it. 
And but I guess you have to be really super talented, like Sydney is, to enjoy doing that job. Talented and focused and ready to meet deadlines. I feel like those are the three things you need. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, super awesome. Excited to hear her long history with D&D and um, a little bit about the great work that she's also done on the magic side of things. But sorry, magic, she's ours now. Nice. Are you No take backs. No take no backs. No take backs. Uh, but now, are you inspired to perhaps, I mean, you were mentioning how you want to start this carnival. What if you created... Uh, you know, inspired by her game that she was running with her cousins. I know. What if you took characters that are us, uh, our people, and we were at a carnival here in our world on Earth, but oh, by the way, it took you to the Feywild. And then you took over the the DMing. Perhaps. Because that, now I'm in the Feywild. You know what? No, I actually do feel like the Feywild could be a good spot for me because it's so weird. Anything could happen. Right, and I could just... Make stuff up and just say, that's how it's done. I don't know. They've got they weird rules. They got they do strange things here in the Feywild. Yeah. So I think you could do it. I think you could do it. It could be. That could really be the thing that finally pushes me. Nice. All right. Well, this this drama has been happening on Dragon Talk for I think four years. Yeah. I mean people five. are like, whatever. Like this has been played out. You jumped the shark like three years ago. Me? I think it's no, you. me. You, That's you what I mean. I mean they're saying that to me. Like you, you have You need to jump the shark. You actually just need to. It's you gotta get that shark jumped over. So now there's a shark at the Witch Lake Carnival <laughs> and one of the activities you can do. <laughs> there's a guy in a if your name is Fonzie. And he's trying to jump over a huge tank of great white sharks. We've got <laughs> <laughs> the stats for those. So if Fonzie falls in, uh, hey, 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 I got wet. You know, I, we're certainly aging ourselves with these I references. I thought of that too. I'm like, well, there's people listening who are like, what? You know, there's What's someone a though. Fonzie? There's someone who actually is going to get all these references, and that's Bob Salvatore. He totally would. Yeah, he loves I don't know us. if we'll have time to weave these into our our interview with him, but let's call him up and see. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Let's welcome Bob Salvatore back to Dragon Talk. Yay, Bob! Well, you guys really pick up when the recording starts. They <laughs> <laughs> do. We got, we got up there. Our energy is up there. But, but friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. yeah. What's this, like 10 times maybe? I, I mean, Eight times? Could be. It's up there. It's up there. Yeah, we got it. We, we owe you a jacket. We owe Wolfgang yep. Bauer a jacket. Uh, yeah. Oh, do you have swag? I want swag. I like swag. <laughs> I, yeah. It's been it. It's been about eight years in the making. But we, if we keep talking about it, it will happen. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna get a jacket, like a nice members jacket. only jacket. A members yeah. only sure, jacket. That, that's how I picture it in my mind. Like a cool members only jacket. <laughs> like hey, yeah. Oh, you're in the the Dragon Talk Friend of the Pod Club, huh? Oh my gosh! Now yeah. we have to make that happen. Would you we wear really it, Bob? Do. If we got it for you, of course. <laughs> nice. Oh, we'll see, because you're a friend of the pod. Yes, of course, Bob. So excited to talk to you about, uh, well, all the amazing things going on in your life, but definitely about Starlight Enclave, which is coming out very soon, right? If not already, is it already out? out? I think it's out. <laughs> very soon. It's been up for three weeks. Three August, weeks. August oh my God. Yeah. Early August it came out. Yes. Yeah. It's been, doing, it's been doing pretty well from what I hear and getting a lot of good feedback. So yeah, it's up and running. You're being very modest. 
Um, Why? Because it's it's like gotten a very good reception, very good reviews. Everything I've seen, five um, stars, five stars, lots of positivity. It's tra- all the Dritz books track the same at this point. When the Net Galley heroes get them, they they're always gonna they're always gonna give you a left handed compliment and take off a star so that everyone thinks they're very serious. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, all the Dritz books start off like around three and a half. 3.6, whatever. And then they all just build up, 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 up to about 4.8. They're all about the same. It's consistent. It's a consistent series. Let me put it that way. That's how I feel. That makes me feel good. About it. Yeah. yeah. Right? You're, uh, you're, you're, you're hitting 300 for a lifetime average here, I think. I don't know if yeah. that metaphor tracks or not, but you know, you know what I'm trying yeah. to say. I knew baseball would find its way into this interview. <laughs> we had to talk about the Red Sox at some I mean, point. Yes. Go yeah, ahead. I went, to, I went to the Fenway the other night. First time in two years. Three years. First time in three years. Fenway oh, wow. Pirates. I was there the other night. They won. Chris Hill was pitching. Good game. Nice. Was that the Travis Shaw? Grand no, 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 that? no, no. This was uh, Friday night's game. All right. Sweet. Uh, yeah, Gino. Gino got me tickets to Fenway. Took me to Fenway for Father's Day. But this was the, this was the game he took me. Right near wow. our old seats in the, in the pavilion section. It was great. Oh, that is fantastic. It's yeah, nice to I see some things coming back like that, right, Shane? I know, right? I wouldn't I told, go back. <laughs> I told no, you didn't did you not feel I was I was just comfortable? Like too many people. I it just didn't I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that. I'd that's, that's how I felt in airports. But thankfully Greg gave me a heads up because we traveled for the first time, you know, since all this began. Um and Greg said, just be careful. Like when you go to the airport, you're gonna be around more people. Than, than you have been in a very yeah. long time, and it's it's going to be a little scary. And it was. I'm so glad yeah, you told me that. Yeah, the airport's been weird. Uh, we were in California when COVID started, mm. um, and it was. And we usually come home in May. And I told Diane we got to get out of here before May 1st because they were saying they're going to reopen the airports on May 1st fully. You know, that was kind of the day they were saying go. And so I we got out early <laughs> oh. because I didn't want to go through a crowded airport. And we went to LAX the end of April last year. Yeah, and it was empty, and it was Ooh. creepiest damn thing you ever saw. I was like, "Whoa, no, this is the something." It's like I yeah. didn't want to get on the plane. I was like, "Whoa, this is just too creepy. It's too everything was wrong." You know, everything you expect at an airport was wrong. But then we flew again this year. We went back to California twice this year after we got our shots, and um, it was it picked up considerably. It was feeling more normal, but still not normal. Yeah. It was definitely um, crowded when I went and it's like this weird, like just like most people are, you know, still fully masked and like timid because it's probably their first time traveling too. And well, you've got to be masked by law. Um, yeah. yeah, you would think, except for those that that weren't. <laughs> but let me tell you, if you want to if you want to feel safe on an airplane, you travel with Bart Carroll because he tells on everybody. Oh, <laughs> He's really? like. 17C, no mask. 13A, mask around the chin. Like <laughs> you're pretty safe on the planes, actually. I did I feel safe on the planes. The airports so. you gotta watch out for. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I was I was fine. I went to Disney in May. I was vaccinated, and there was this was before we it's found out that there was outside. a new one growing. Right. A new bad one growing. Oh, right. Yeah. And now it's bad again. Yeah. Well. Thank you for coming to our COVID talk. This was fun. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow well, you, 
You can tie this into D and D, Greg. I know you can. Pull I was it just back. about to. I was just about to. <laughs> right. And oh. so, I mean, a lot of people have taken D and D as a solace for not being able to travel and do all this. Things. And but reading. A lot of people are also reading a lot more. Uh, you know, actual physical books. But I've heard a lot from people also who are are getting more into Audible and 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 having their books read to them. Uh, and I don't, I, I know, you know, the works that you've been doing, Bob, a lot of people just love getting into those and, and not thinking about COVID for a little bit of time. Have, have you experienced that? Oh yeah. Especially with Audible. You mentioned Audible. Um, yeah. you know, I have, I have a huge backlist obviously, right? Like we and all do. So every quarter I get reports on the, on the books and how they're doing sales. And every, every other quarter, the Audible component is attached and over the last couple of years, the Audible component has grown like exponentially. The books have gone down and the Audible have gone way up. It's crazy. Wow. Um, now, I don't know the actual numbers or anything, but let's just say I think Audible extended a lot of the career for a lot of authors or just really helped a lot of authors, especially with backlists. People love, especially with series. If you've got a whole books to get through one series, doing it with Audible is a lot, especially if you've already read them and you want to go back and kind of refresh Audio is yeah. the easiest way to do that. And Victor Bavine is just such a great reader anyway. The guy that does all the Dritz books, he's fantastic. So yeah, Audible's been very good to me. I even did an exclusive story for them, a Dritz story called One-Eyed Jacks, where they they hired me directly to do the story. Wizards gave it gave their blessing. And I did just a, a one-off novella, basically, that Audible put out there as kind of a tease to get people into the Dritz series. And it's been great. That's been, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When you said backlist, you know, my my mind immediately went to like, oh, all the books that you haven't read yet. But you meant a very different term, backlist, which is all no, the books I mean, that you have re- written in the past. I meant, I meant the books like the Crystal Shard that came out 33 years ago and right? is still selling, which yeah. makes me very happy. Well, I have a big substantial backlist, too, of, of books that I have not yet read. That's <laughs> that backlog. I'm still getting to. That's a backlog, yeah. That's a backlog. That's a, that's a you, backlog. Know what, you know where I went with that? Where? I shouldn't even say it. And Bob's like, I got a really big backlist. And I just went like, Bobby's got backlist. Sorry. I, I, it was there. It was in my... <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bob. 20 plus years and she hasn't grown up at all. No. She's still no. that seven-year-old. <laughs> she was still that wise-ass seven-year-old. <laughs> Speaking uh, of books, Bob. You know, he, Shelly owes me. I just want to go on record with this. I taught her how to do a book set. <laughs> I thought of that the other day, actually. Did you? That was so yes, much fun. I did. Do you know that, Greg? That was in I did a, a bundle of nerves. With and I was like, just sit and be you. Have fun. Well, did. everybody we like, thought I was your handler. They were just like, <laughs> like handing me like your, or what, like they were just like, Where yeah, can he write it to Janine? I'm like, oh, I actually have something <laughs> That's <not> for you. <laughs> That's Wait, awesome. so set the scene. Where was this? Where was this? This was at, we were at Book oh, Expo. Yeah, book, yeah, Book Expo yeah, America book Expo. in New York and, City. Um, and Shelly had out her, her teenage sorceress book there. <laughs> and um, she was doing, we did our first signing. We had uh, She advanced. did her first signing. It was like my 9,393,842nd, I think. Yeah. And um, Shelly was all gracious. nervous. And we had a blast. We had um, a blast. How nice. You were so nice. And I, you know... Even though that was your three hundred millionth, eleven hundred thousand signing, like you yeah. still treat everyone like it's your first. Like you're so nice to everyone. And if I ever get to be a real author like you, I want oh, I want Here to be like you. 
Greg, when we sign our Dragon Talk books. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we've yeah. got to be like, Bob, you grow up. You're, be you. you're so nice. <laughs> it's even if it's like four hours into it, you're that 400th fan in line is like the first fan in line. You talk to everybody. Everybody. Sure. They all get the same treatment. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to book signings with authors that did not treat people that way and they had half as many people in line and it has really tarnished well, how I feel mind, about them as Keep authors. in mind, and this is me too, and this is the truth. When I was in high school, I was the shyest kid in my school. Like, I never asked anyone out for a date or anything like that. I was like, I was the guy hiding in the corner, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I had to break that. And I broke it when I got to college, when I realized that well, it just got really loud. Ooh, something just got really loud. I had to break that when I got to college, when I realized that my life was going by and I wasn't in it. Mm. Oh. And now it got really soft. Like, you know, what's <laughs> weird? You, you guys fine. doing something there? I um, but anyway, um, so when I got out, first time when I started traveling, going to conventions and stuff, it was terrifying. But I overcame it. I, I forced myself to just come out of the shell and have some fun with it. Because there's one of the Dritz essays, he says, I'm free because I know I'm going to die. Mm. And that's not morbid. It's the truth. You, you, when you realize that, you know, do what you can do when you can do it, because there's no mulligans here. And I kind of rode that. To, through the conventions and the book signings and just forced myself to go out there and have a good time. It's a heck of a lot better time if you're not nervous. It's a heck of a lot better time if you're engaging in people. First of all, the people that come to book signings, generally speaking, are really interesting people that got their own stories to tell. Yeah. And, you know, second of all, just sitting there like, isn't any fun? Um, but I think one of the problems when you're talking about authors that don't talk at book signings, a lot of authors are very introverted. I know. Mm. I met one very famous author. I won't, I won't use the name. And we're on a panel together, and I had a really terrible experience. And then a few years later, um, one of our an editor friend who, was, who knew him and knew me said, I got I to gotta introduce you to this guy. You guys are going to get along great. And I'm like, I already met him. And I didn't get along with him at all. And he said, where'd you meet him? And I said, it was at a, and I told him the convention. He goes, yeah, he's got, he's got um, social, uh, social anxiety disorder. So as soon as he went out in public, he would melt and he would be a completely different person. Then I got to meet him privately. And he's the nicest guy in the world. He was awesome. And so I think that's part of the problem with a lot of authors, because a lot of authors, you know, they live in they live in their minds as much as they live in the world. That's the job. Yeah. Yeah. They're comfortable with their characters that they've created in the worlds they've created. This author I'm thinking of, though, she's is not an introvert because she writes a lot of <laughs> nonfiction and memoir type books. And so she's very, like that does not match her personality. Shelley, I think you're starting a turf war here. I think you're going to start snapping. Uh, I was I'll just like, you. I was so excited <laughs> to meet her. And then it was, she was just so rude. Do you like, know who should write a book? <clears throat> All of the media escorts <laughs> from oh. like 1980 to 19 to 2000. And when it was, because at that point, it was more authors. Now it's more celebrities who do the big tours, who have their own entourage, right? Right. right. But back then, it was all the authors going on tour. And the stories, the media escorts tell you, are really great. Did you get some juicy stories when they oh, were? Oh, absolutely. Made me look at authors, many authors, in a very different way. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Yeah, most Maybe. of them not good. Probably. Not good. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then well, say, I- geez, what are they saying about me behind my back? And then saying, I don't care. 
Well, They're not saying going back, back to what you said about uh, Drist and uh, you know that you know that you're going to die and that and that, and that can be a, a very morbid thought in one sense, but a very freeing thought. Like I think that is something that we uh, as a society kind of lost, right? Like that idea that like. Um, you know, you can't you can't change the past, right? You can't constantly fixate on things that have happened, even you know, yesterday or or a week ago. Like you're never gonna, the more you worry about it, the more you get upset about it. You're never going to be able to change it. And so, having that kind of forward moving momentum, even in you know this time when we've been dealing with you know all the political upheaval as well as this COVID quarantine and all that type of stuff, I really gravitate towards stories that are about like how are we going to go forward here? And I mean that's. That's been drist to a T throughout this That's entire series. That's been the whole Dark Elf series. That's why it's still going. Yeah. Um, the Drizzt books, I see the world very differently now than I did when I started writing the character because I was 29 years old. Yeah. Actually, when I started writing the character, I was 28 years old when I first wrote Drizzt. And I'm, you know, I'm old now. So that... <laughs> I started, I, I think I see the world very differently. And that's how come I'm able to continue to keep the characters moving along. Because I've always said, you know, I write because it helps me make sense of the world. So I put the characters out there and I beat the crap out of them, put them mm. under tremendous pressure. And that really reveals someone's character. And that's how I get my answers to the world. Yeah, it's, 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 in, yeah. I, it's interesting, like, that how long you have been writing these books. And like you're saying, you know, you were a different person then. You've been many different people in the the past 30 years or so since writing these books. It's an interesting, like, like a a retrospective of you and your life and your reflections. And I I guess I never thought of it that way as well, but it it really does. Obviously you're, you're putting you into these books as well. So it's just, it's, it's a cool way to you, go back and look at different places you were in your yeah, life. Yeah, do you know when I realized it? When I was when they were doing the collected stories. Oh, interesting. All the short stories I had done in the various realms anthologies, Dragon Magazine, whatever, and they, they wanted to put them all together, but they wanted me to go back and kind of write a page what I was thinking when I did it. So I had to read them all again. And when I was reading them, it was like looking through a photo album. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was amazing because I immediately knew, oh, I wrote that in my walk-in closet in our first house on Haynes Court. And I knew exactly, it brought me right back to that time, how old the kids were, what we were doing, what our life was like. And it was like, it was like looking at a photo album. And that's when I realized, wow, this is like my journey. This Mm. is kind of cool. That is really cool. And it's cool that you've been writing this character for that long. Like, what is your relationship with Dritz now? Like, how do you... How do you see this character? How do you feel towards this character? And has that relationship changed? Like, is Dritz like a child to you? Like one of your children? Or is it like a peer? Is it (laughs) aspirational? Who is he? Dritz is aspirational. He's who I wish I had the courage to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's going to do what he thinks is right. And he's not going to back down from it. No matter what. That's pretty cool. That is really cool. Kind of like our D and D characters in a way. I mean, mine are always aspirational. They're always better than yeah. me, the real me. <laughs> I hope. Are they? Are they always better than <laughs> Drunky Two Shoes? Maybe is like equal to me. <laughs> Drunky Two Shoes. She's a Tabaxi. We have a lot in common. Okay. Because we both wear two shoes at the same time. That's the one. That's the one thing that you have in common, yeah. and you like to drink wine. <laughs> 
what do you so where, what is what is uh, Driss' stage in his journey now? I mean, I know uh, a little bit about what's going on in Starlight Enclave, but talk a little bit uh, for folks who haven't been reading up all of the uh, uh, the back of the cover books, as well as you know being able to to zip through it in the first couple of weeks now that it's been out. He's at the point now where he's he's moved from somebody who escaped, got away, made his friends, made his home, made his family. And now his family's come true. He's got a daughter and he's married, very happily married. He's he's living the dream, right? And now all of that has come full circle where he's gotten his freedom emotionally and everything else from his past and told Loth where to get off years ago. But now because of all of that, the bigger crisis that's happening in Menzo Berenzan is trying to draw him back in where there's going to be a civil war. There, there's a fight coming between the Lothian drow and the drow who are ex-Lothian for control of that city. And Driss has to play a part of it, but playing a part of it means he's risking everything mm. because, you know, they might be going down there with all the righteous fury that they have, but they're the underdogs. They're fighting a demon who's going to supply their enemies and, you know, for him, is it worth the fight? Because the other thing that's happened with him is through his training with the monks and everything, he's learned more about what's, what the universe is to him. He, he's coming to terms the meaning of his life is. And with that introspection, it's hard enough to hold on to giving a damn about the, the mortal things. But then add on top of that, that the things he does give a damn about, his wife, his daughter, his friends, will all be lost to him if he goes down there and loses. So on the one hand, he's got nothing to lose because he's at peace with who he is and what he's done. And on the other hand, he's got more to lose than he ever has because of the people around him. So that's a tough place. And that's, that's his whole journey in Starlight Enclave. His whole journey is trying to figure out what's my role. You know, who am I going to be in this upcoming event? I love that. I love that. Which is about, you know, it's about, I would say it's not quite a half of the book. That's about a third of the book. The main part of the book doesn't even involve him at this point. Ooh, okay, cool. Um, Yeah, well, what I was going to say was that I just, I love that trend in, and maybe it's just because I'm noticing him more now as a, as a father and as, you know, having a family that is, is super important to me. You know, the, so many of so much of our fantasy used to be that hero's journey of being like this young, you know, plucky adolescent, and you're destined to do great things, and you reject the call, but then you take up the call, and all you know, all that Joseph Campbell stuff. But I love that fantasy now is delving into that, like, well, do I have to? Like, you know, <laughs> what, it's so much more of a risk losing the normalcy of life to put yourself out there, and how there's there's noble nobility in that. Well, do you see why it's like that now? When I started <laughs> writing. 1987, 88, that era. Yeah. If I had a book signing, I've told you this before. If there were 30 people there, it was 26 high school boys and the four moms who drove them. Yeah. That was basically who was playing D&D, high school, college, mostly boys back then. Um, But that's expanded. But on top of that, they've all grown up. Yeah. And so they're going through the same type of journey as the rest of us as you grow up. Like I said, I was a very different person when I started writing Drist to who I am now. Not fundamentally and ethically and all of that, but in terms of how I view the external information coming into me. 
my perspective has changed. Do you think history also played a part too? Like, I mean, I think in the 80s when you were writing this, there was still that, you know, U.S. versus Russia Cold War thing was like very prevalent throughout almost all of, of literature and history, right? Well, there's, there's no doubt that the world's changed a lot. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> one of my big... I don't have a lot of complaints <coughs> at all about everything that's going on. I think this is a natural shudder that you have to go through. But one of the things that kind of my pet peeve is anybody who looks at the past, like the 1990s, the 1980s, the 1970s, and judges someone for something, some statement they made or something they did back then, that now wouldn't be acceptable. But back then was just life. And without understanding the context of history, right? I mean, I can appreciate that George Washington did some pretty crappy things, okay? Now, I grew up being taught he had wooden teeth and never told a lie and <laughs> said he cut down the cherry tree. Then you find out one of his three sets of dentures was teeth pulled from the mouth of a slave. <laughs> so even in context, that's pretty crappy, right? But you can appreciate that the world was so different. You know, that's why I watch Ken Burns documentaries. Like, you watch Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I just started watching it again last night because it's like my favorite Ken Burns documentary. And it's all about what happened in Vietnam before we got there. And you can see how different the world is now. And that's why I'm an optimist, though, because for all the garbage, for all the, the, the fighting, the, the Internet trolling, the uh, social media causing mental illness in half the country, um, you know, and it really does. You know, for all the this with your phone all day long, that's that's driving people insane. We're better, we're better people now than we were when I was a kid. It's a better world now than when I was a kid. Yeah. It really is. I had a neighbor who used to beat the crap out of his daughter every morning Oof. before school. And she'd come out, I'd be waiting for us so we could walk to school together. And she'd come out with belt buckle marks on her. And everybody knew it. And the cops knew it. Nobody cared. That this doesn't happen life. anymore. It was brutal. I had guys who used to pull shotguns on us and shoot at us. Yeah, I can't do that. I had a anymore. friend blown off his bike with rock salt from a shotgun. Right down the end of the street. The bike kept going. It was really weird. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That it was a weird. different world. I, you know, I, when I first started writing, one of my dreams was to write a, write a book about, like one of my favorite TV shows, The Waltons. Because The Waltons shows me a world that was very different than my world and shows it to me accurately. Right. Not the corny stuff of goodnight, Mary <laughs> Ellen or whatever her name was. Right. It, not that stuff. But the, the, the day to day living of that was very different than what I experienced when I was growing up. And I love that because the show was informing me at the same time it was entertaining. And I said, you know, I would love to write a book about my neighborhood and the things we used to do. But I never wrote it because I always figured, well, everybody's life is like this. But mm. now it's so different for a kid growing up. Maybe I'll do it someday. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe parts should. of that do work their way. I should probably wait it. till all the my friends die so they can't sue me. <laughs> I have to Change outlive them to write the book. Uh, you know, I, well, the funny thing about what you're saying there is that, found, that sounds a little bit like why people enjoy fantasy. Uh, to a certain extent, right? And, you know, especially back then, right? There was this idea of it being 
a time that you couldn't experience now, right? Like, I wouldn't say it was uh, a meritocracy necessarily in most fantasy novels, but there was that idea that you could do anything, right? And that you could be anything that you wanted to be, you know, given the awful circumstances of the world in which you were living. And I think that is the, you know, as an adolescent, definitely when I was growing up, like that was something that was really important to me, you know? And I think that idea about this optimism is a little bit like what fantasy's through line has been for, for, for these decades. Oh, absolutely. One of the, one of the quotes that when I do e-signings, people ask me to put a quote in the book sometimes. And one of my favorite quotes is, no, I would not want to live in a world without dragons because that is a world, world without magic. And that is a world without mystery. And that is a world without faith. And there is something to the idea that one person can change the world that is very appealing especially in a world of 8 billion people now and, you know, massive bureaucracies for governments and where you're helpless. If you get, if you get something wrong on your taxes, you're helpless. You're helpless. When you go to the DMV or the RMV or whatever you call it in your state and you got to wait in line for four hours, right? You're helpless. Right. And I got my dog in my mouth here. <laughs> My little dog is going crazy. I'm good dog here. Good I feel like that's, that's a euphemism or something. Like, I got my dog in my mouth. Or like a frog dog in your throat. My or a little Dexter. <laughs> a little blind Dexter. Oh, Eight pounds of fighting blind? fury. Oh. Uh, yeah, he's a rescue. And he, you know, they have a, the uh, flight or fight. He doesn't have flight. He he's blind. Fight. Really? He fights. He just wow. fights. He always gives you a little growl and you know it's coming. So move. Because if you okay. don't. Okay. He gives you the warning. Teeth are little, but they hurt. Um, <laughs> and he anyway, in your mouth. Um, what was I? I completely forgot what I was talking about. Probably wasn't important anyway. So there you go. <laughs> you know, which is about uh, you know the state Just of the world the and world. The optimism yeah. of fantasy. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm an optimist. I think I think the arc of history bends toward justice and all of that. And, and I, I think we're a better country than we were. I think we're a better world than we were. I'm very worried right now because right now you have a. You, I mean, the world is at. We are in World War Three right now, and nobody's figured it out yet. And it's a war between authoritarian government and democratic, liberal democratic government. Yeah. And I don't know who's going to win. But I do know that the open societies are at a tremendous disadvantage when the bad guys can use social media to make people crazy. Right, right. I, th- I, think, I think that's a big reason why, you know, uh, fantasy, but also Dungeons and Dragons has been more popular the last few years is because it gave some people some agency. You were talking about being helpless and not being able to change yeah. sure. uh, what was happening. I think, you know, just being able to slay the evil dragon or or or, or topple a tyrant in a fantasy realm was very attractive to people uh, over Still the last is. administration, I'll say. Yeah. And you and you mentioned the, I, the concept of one person being able to change the world. And that's yeah. one thing that, you know, with D&D, it kind of sets you up to be that person like there you go into every game every adventure every story believing like you're the hero here like you you have that power to do that and i think that's it's every very empowering it's every young adult conquering hero dream come true um you know the conquering hero i'll show them i'll make things right and um yeah no it, it it's I got into fantasy because when I was in college as a math major and I, I opened up The Hobbit, the Peter Beagle introduction, Peter S. Beagle, The Last Unicorn, just 
I met him actually a few years ago. He was the nicest guy on the planet. It, just, oh, nice. it was such, you're always afraid to meet someone you've like been in awe of for a long time because yes. maybe he's a jerk, right? Oh no, we he was, he, they were going on this tour for the last unicorn and they were doing it in movie theaters and they came to my hometown. So a friend and I went down there and we were like the last people in line. It was like 11 o'clock. Is that Quinn? Yeah. He actually wanted to talk to you and I don't he's want way to too big. story. And so the Peter Beagle intro to the Lord of the Rings talked about escapism is not a bad word. Yeah. And it just hooked me. And then of course I started reading the Hobbit and that was it. Right. My life was changed. But yeah, no, I, I think that's, uh, first of all, I think a lot of people have a lot more time on their hands. That's true. And second of all, you burn out. If you're just going to listen to the volume all day long of the screaming and the shouting and the, and it, it's just ridiculous. So you, you kind of burn out and you go away, you escape, you go away to a different world and a world where a single person can make a difference. It's a good feeling. And it could be you. I think you remember the like movie Quinn, Dragon perhaps, perhaps Quinn will, will, will slay some dragons. Hang on. Do you recognize, you might not even remember this. Yeah, that's the book that Diana and I sent. Yes, he remembers. Aww. And he often likes to read your. Hi, Quinn. He said hello. Oh, yeah, you got your headphones on. He can't hear me. Duh. <laughs> your inscription, which says um, that he's supposed to listen to me. <laughs> Always listen to your mom and grandma. It says right here. And if you ever make your mom mad, give her a ring ding. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing for you, right? Oh, yes. And oh, I yes. cannot tell you how many ring dings were consumed on my visit home the last week. <laughs> Are they still doing them? Can't get oh, them yeah. here, even in New England anymore. I had them. <sighs> ring dings. And that, was my, that was my weakness as a kid, too. Yeah, remember they used to just be in your lunch. Oh, my mom used to always put them in my lunch. Yeah. I used to love those tasty cake. Uh, it's like whenever someone says to me, I don't want to take the vaccine. I don't know what's in it. I said, do you eat ring dings? You don't know what's right. in them right. <laughs> <laughs> It's something in the water that makes ring dings taste the way they taste because you can't make them anywhere but there. <laughs> yeah, it's like bagels. It's like the New York bagels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. New York pizza. Anyway. So how can people... Uh, take what we're talking about here uh, and strive to be like Drist uh, and the heroes in in, in the books. Uh, Keep pushing forward. Yeah, how? right. I mean, how, how, like, how like you, you said, like, things are getting better. Uh, but like you know, what's who, I don't. I, I think we might have learned maybe that it isn't just one person anymore. It's actually banding together, like creating your own companions of the hall. Uh, you don't want me giving life advice. We do. <laughs> we do. We do. Uh, you know. The best advice I can give anyone is is shut off cable news mm. and use social media sparingly. And remember that the person you're blowing up on social media probably is a decent person who's just having a bad day or, um, you know, or it's somebody who's actually getting a thrill out of making you angry as opposed to trying to argue in good faith because nobody does that on social media. I say that as someone who sometimes argues on social media, I actually argue in good faith, which is why I probably lose all my arguments. But, um, you know, it, to me, it's like it, one, it, it really scares me to go like for a walk and to see people like at the kids playground with their kids who are just on their phones. And it, it, it really scares me because not because they're doing something dastardly, but because they're missing the best parts of their life. Mm. 
you know, I, I remember when my kids were little and, you know, we'd go outside and make the, those Estes rockets and let them fly or building the little soapbox derby cars or teaching them how to play sports, playing street hockey with them in the, in the driveway, little, you know, and all of those, now it's like, I'm, I've got to go on, you know, my phone goes ding and I got to pick it up and shut the notifications off the phone. I mean, that's my best advice to anyone is just control it. I look, think at your, look at your usage time on social media and, and your phone and, and go from, go from 23 hours a day <laughs> to, to under two and you'll be a happier person, I think. I think you got a good point there. I mean, I think there, for, for me, social media takes over the cable news, honestly. That's where I get my news and my, you know, it's like reading the, the magazine or the, uh, the newspaper for me, you know, the amount of time that people spent doing that, like that is the way to do it. But I think what you, the optimal thing that you said there was control it, right? Don't let it, choose to, to make those updates a part of your life, but don't uh, have it just be anytime something, you know, get that Pavlovian response of, Dan, let me, let me. The dopamine hits that you're going to get fighting on a message board are not going to make you a happy person. Right. And Agreed. I, you know, sometimes just step back. Mm-hmm. You got no do-overs. If you spent 5,000 hours this year wasting your time on arguing about stuff with people who don't care what you have to say because they've already made their mind up, then, you know, where are you going to, you've just lost 5,000 hours of your life. And, you know, I don't want to be up on a pedestal here. So let's change the subject because, you know, this <laughs> is just stuff that I do for me. Right. But you asked, so I answered. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I'm loving the idea of... of Shelly's known me long enough not to take anything I say seriously anyway. <laughs> not true. You gave Quinn great advice in that book, I'm telling you. You Life paid lessons. me for that. Listen to mom. That's yeah. good advice for anybody. All right, so yes. what was it like, uh, you know, writing a, uh, you know, a scene in the in this book, in Starlight Enclave, in which... Uh, I, oh, actually, I don't know if this is the, the actual thing because I haven't been able to read it yet. But uh, what was it like having characters that were similar to Drist's but didn't have that control of Lolth uh, uh, in their history and all their time? Oh, I've been ready to write this book for 25 years. I mean, this is the thing that this is one of the things that I, I got to tell you about the book is that the idea that we're doing we're making some big change here. I, I, I laugh at people who keep saying that to me because where have you been? Mm. You know, Dritz wasn't unique because he was the good one. Dritz was unique because he escaped. Even in the earliest books, Vierna, Zach Nefane, Charlaxel, they don't like Loth. I mean, Zach Nefane's biggest kicks are getting rid of the zealots who control them for Loth. Yeah. Um, so to me, there was always two things that had to be done to clarify that as we've gone forward. And first was show more of that undercurrent of Dritzism. I'll, I'll call it that. Okay. Hmm. The idea that this is wrong and we shouldn't be doing this in the city, which is what I did in the last trilogy, the Generations trilogy. When I went back, the story I wanted to tell for many years, I've been saying this for 20 years. I want to tell the story of Zach Nefane and Jarl Axel before Dritz is born, even when they were friends. In Menzo Baron's on. And part of that story was going to be showing that Dritz didn't come about in a vacuum, that there were 
dozens and dozens of scores of, of drow, hundreds, thousands who hate loaf, hate their society and what their society is. But what are you going to do? She's a tyrant and you're surrounded by things that want to eat you. And if you leave this cavern, you're dead. And if you try to do anything against her in this cavern, you're going to be sent to the abyss for retraining, probably as a drider, right? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, think about the world's worst dictators, okay? Our world's worst dictators and how they put a control. They put walls around their people, right? They wall their country in. Think about how they break that society, right? Think about how Hitler broke that German society. Decent, democratic-minded people were just broken and twisted into something monstrous in the night through the 1930s. Well, now imagine that when you're actually in a place that you don't even need walls because you can't leave. There's nowhere to go. And even if you get where you think you want to go, they're going to hate you anyway. Right. And it's not it's not a a person who's going to hand it down to his his son or daughter to take over the country and be a miserable tyrant jerk. It's a demon who's immortal, who's going to be there the whole time, digging that little hole a little deeper and pulling you down at with her. And the natural thing for me is that in the in the heart and soul of everybody in that place, there is there is a time when they're saying this is wrong. And some of them actually hold on to that through the indoctrination and the beating. But it'll be a small percentage. Dritz was one of them. And he had the courage to leave. I'm sure others have, too. And they've probably died. Or they've just gone off into oblivion. But Driss was different because Loth kept going back after him. So he became kind of a hero to all those people like Jarl Axel, even Kronf, Banray, who mm-hmm. was saying, damn it, he did it. Maybe there is more. And I've been building up to that forever. When Jarl Axel took over Luskin, yeah. the people of Luskin know that the drow are controlling their city. And they're really cool with that because they're a hell of a lot better than the pirates who were controlling that city. The high captain pirates were miserable, murdering thieves. John Axel's not running it like that. Now, maybe he's doing this for selfish reasons because John Axel loves being revered, but he's doing good by them. And he's not controlling because he knows you don't have to control because he knows that what he's trying to build is what they're going to want him to build. And so that was the first thing. The second thing I had was show all those other drops. The second thing I wanted to do was the idea of unreliable narrator, especially when you're talking about history. So we have the formal history of the drought, but look at our own, look at our own world, right? We're still finding out we were wrong about things a thousand years ago when we had all the writing that we can read and everything else. We're still trying to figure out what really happened 2000 years ago in the Middle East, right? That's the search the Ark of the Covenant or Noah's Ark or what was Jesus real? Was there a real person named this? Was there? And the further, the, you know, the farther back you go, the further back you go in time, the less you know, the more we tried to piece together and we don't know. They're even finding now beginnings of human civilization thousands of years older than they thought humans were around. And this is the nature of learning. Well, they, we have all these sophisticated tools that can date things. With What do you think a world looks like where you know, you're trying to go back three, four, five thousand years in time, and they don't really know what happened back then. 
So what I did is, and, and I thought this was really kind of, it's one of my favorite things in all in the books. When Quenthal Banray was taking over for Ivanel, the matron mother Banray and, and Triel when Triel died and all that. And Quenthal was kind of becoming the matron mother of the city. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought she could handle it because she just wasn't that strong. She wasn't that bright. She wasn't like the, the obvious choice, but it was her turn. So what they did is they used the mind flare and that severed head of Yvonne L and the mind flare went in there and collected all the synapses and the, the, the current connections in the brain of matron mother Banray, and then gave them to Quentel. And then she, so it's not like Quentel's reading a book about her matron mother. It's like if, if Yvonne L the eternal had a lover, Quentel remembers it as if that was her lover. She remembers it as if it was her own experiences. So it's much more intimate. It's much more personal. It's much more clear because she's not getting it through a translator. Right. And at the same time they did that, when Gromf, when Manolan Faye became pregnant with Gromf's daughter, Loth showed up at the festival of founding and had the Illithid do the same thing to the Ivanel, the namesake of Ivanel the Eternal, in utero. Mm. So this kid's born with full consciousness and the memories of a 2,000-year-old matron mother, Banre. And so all of this happens, and now you have Quentel and Ivanel trying to figure out where they fit in and what they should do. And they know things aren't right and something's wrong. And lo and behold, here comes Camuriel, who's been talking with the Illithids, and he helps them go through the memories of Ivanel the Eternal. And what do they discover? They discover just by looking at her emotional responses to external stimuli, that the Ivanel the Eternal that went down to Menzo Berenzan, that in the founding of Menzo Berenzan, was not the same person she was 100 years later, 500 Mm -hmm. years later, 1,000 years later. And not just not the same person in terms of ethics and all of that, like like we were just talking about, but she had been led down that rabbit hole by loath, one one handful of dirt at a time to a darkness where things like, you know, murdering people, drawing and quartering them, turning them into dryers. Now, that's just normal stuff. you know, don't worry about, don't worry about the 500 dead bodies on the side of the road. That's just life. It happens all the time. We see that in our world. Yeah. We see it all the time. We see it with the kids who grow up in countries that are in war when they're kids, that they become so desensitized to violence and death that their entire outlook on the world is different. That's what Loth did. And she did yeah. it over centuries. So now they've got these big revelations and what they've come, what they are told from the memories of Ivan L is that, the drow went down there to get away from the kings and queens, the whims of war from the kings and queens on the surface, elf, dwarf, human, whatever. They were, they were running away from that idea that one person could cause this great conflict and get everybody killed. In a way, Menzel Berenstein was founded the way America was founded. Right. Yeah. It was I'm founded all those not parallels. to be a theocracy. It was founded not to be an autocracy. It was founded to be a democracy, a liberal democracy. And Loth stole it, handful by handful, digging the hole, stole it from them, built her zealots, one after another, each generation worse than the one previous. She stole that democracy. Now, of course, the coup de grace in all of this is that at the end of the book where this is revealed, 
Jarlaxle looks at Kamiril and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm confused here. The memories from um, from matron mother Ivan L, the eternal Bayenre, were given to Quintal and Ivan L. Yeah. By the Illithids. Yeah. Their memories of how Menzo Baranzan was founded is very different than everything we learned when we were kids. Right. But they recovered those memories through you with the help of the Illithids. And Camaro's like, yeah. And Jalaxa's like, um, okay. Because now Jalaxa is, are these two unreliable narrators? Are they being led down the path by the Illithids for some grander scheme? I don't know. I haven't got there yet. <laughs> so that's the second thing I had to do to the drown. Finally, the third thing I had to do with the drown, this has been years coming. This idea that this is all of a sudden this new thing that we decided to do is baloney because this was this we were we were talking about this before I even began generations trilogy. Mm. This is years in coming, is showing a drought society that never went with loaf, that never yeah. followed, fell into this trap of this spider point. And so I got the right uh, pre-Renaissance Florence. <laughs> and that's Caladet. I love how you're bringing back the Italian uh, comparison yeah. there, too. Well, I mean, the drow, Menzo Baranzan was founded on the five families of New York. I've told you that before. Right. Hmm. When I'm writing Caladet, I am, I am thinking of, you know, the... The world is, you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of, they're, there's an enlightenment that's just beginning and has been kind of growing in, in this place. And, um, but they're not like these, you know, sappy kind, they're, they, they play blood sports. They're, they're really cool. I, I want to go there. My next D&D campaign is going there. That's it. I love it. That's, that's I love it. it. And I see so many parallels between what you were, you know, describing about, uh, history being rewritten and, and, and portrayed in a different way. Uh, you know, even just, I know you didn't want to talk too much about social media and how to avoid it, but even that is filtering into your storytelling here and, and showing how, you know, things can be manipulated. Uh, oh, we're to, seeing that every day in this country. Every day. Yeah. Every day. I mean, you know, a lot of people get mad about it. I'm mad. I'm mad as hell about the changes. You know what I'm mad about? I'm mad that nobody taught me about Tulsa when I was in school. I'm mad that I was told George Washington had wooden teeth and never told a lie instead of being told the truth about yeah. these people that I'm supposed to learn from. I'm mad about not knowing about, you know, what happened after in Reconstruction. That was like a five-minute class after the Civil War. I'm mad about not being told the truth about who we are. Yeah, You can't fix it if you don't know it. You can't make it better if you don't see its flaws. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's, that's my anger. Is, uh, does Drist have that anger? No, because Drist saw the bad part. And now he's, he doesn't even really know about the good part yet all that much. He's just trying to figure it out. He's hopeful. He's an optimist. He's an optimist. He's an eternal optimist. I'm going out in the underdark and I'm going to survive. <laughs> you got to be an optimist, an optimist to have that attitude in life. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 
Well, I love all this, uh, Bob. You know, uh, the the storytelling that you've done has just continued to evolve and change. I, I love that you, you know, early on in this interview, I was saying, like, you know, you have changed as a person and grown just, you know, as as history and everything has changed as well as as Drist. And it's it's just really always enlightening talking to you. I feel like we're in pre-Renaissance uh, Florence right now. Yeah. You're enlightening no. us. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think novelists and storytellers have a really important part to play in 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 our world and i don't know if we necessarily recognize that at least for me maybe i'm just talking about me because i have you know shelves of books behind me uh, uh and they shaped my my thoughts and my thinking See, and so i have you a, talking I have about a it different just, slightly different opinion um as far as the storytelling goes what i've learned as from being a writer is that if a hundred people read your books they're going to get a hundred different things from them and probably 99 or 97 of them were things you didn't know were in there mm, because yeah. a reader brings as much to the story as the writer does. And I'm okay with that. I think it's great. So to me, the way I look at readers is like, they're on this road of adventure beside me. It, it, it really feels like that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, as far as like changing the world, I think anyone who thinks they're going to change the world by writing a book is, uh, the only people I've ever seen who have made significant impact on the world writing books has always been in the wrong direction, right? Um, but um, you got you know, your uh, I, Necronomicon and your. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking mind comps, but yeah, you know. Um, I don't know. You can say like you, uh, they can't. Books can't change the world, but they can but change I think you pieces can, of the. World. They can change a person's world. Which I, I know you your know, books I get, have absolutely done. And I wear it as armor. I get 20 a week of people who tell me that the impact that the books have had on their life. Yeah. And it still feels very surreal to me every time I hear this. It's like, how can that be? You know, but I get 20 a week and I've been getting 20 a week for 30 years. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's really a strange feeling. Um, to know that your work is affecting people, even if it's just to the point of you gave me something to distract me from the war yeah. zone when I was overseas, right? Or I had a really down time in my life and I didn't have any friends in high school and these books became my friends. The people in these books became my friends. Or I had to make a big decision in my life. I've heard this repeatedly from people. Um, and Dritz gave me the courage to make it. Well, no, you had the courage to make it. He just told you you had the courage to make it. But that feels great. And it yeah. also is humbling because it, it, it's kind of scary <laughs> because here people are listening to me and taking what I say seriously. What are you, nuts? <laughs> um, but but it, you you hear that all. And I'm, I mean, writers hear this. Um, and it is, it is, it is inspiring. It's humbling. And it's such a privilege to be allowed into someone's life, even if it's for this much, mm -hmm. that your work is allowed into someone else's life. That's a privilege. I, I take it very seriously. I take it and I'm very, try to be very careful about what I'm putting in there for that reason. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, to me, it's like one guy was mad at me. I'll never forget. That he was really mad at me because my books hadn't grown up with the audience. He wanted <laughs> boobies. Or, um, you know, he wanted, he wanted more explicit sex and violence in the books. And I, and I said to him, I go, you know, when I started writing these books, the most of the people reading them were, were teenagers or tweens. And I want any mother 
now to know that if they pick up a Dritz book, they're safe. Their kid's safe if their kid picks up a Dritz book. A 10-year-old can read the Dritz book and it's going to be okay. Yeah. So I take it seriously. Um, yeah. I have a lot of fun with it, but I take it seriously. That's good. There's, you're still having fun with it. That's what's important. I am still having. I don't know how much. I don't know how many more things I got to say though. No, really you don't. keep saying that, but I'm just. No, listening. you know, you know. I don't know. I thought Look. Hero was the last Dritz book because Wizards had ended their publishing program, and I would have been okay if Hero was the last Dritz book because he told Loth, you know, eh, I'm not going to do it because kids might watch this. But he gave Loth the finger, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would have been okay with that. That would have been an okay ending for me, and. There were a couple more things I still wanted to do, but okay. But, you know, I don't know how many more. I, I really don't know how many more. Um, the publishing industry has changed so much in the last couple of years. It's such a different animal out there. I don't know. I don't know. I know I got two more. One of them is at the publisher now. I got to start the next one in a couple of months here. I got so, an idea. I, I know I got two do. more coming. You but should uh, uh, write a uh, radio screenplay that Audible will produce, and me and Shelley will be the voices. Done. I do really good voices. <laughs> That'll pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Bob. You always wow. <laughs> make us feel wow. so good, even with a throwaway <laughs> joke like that. <laughs> it wasn't a throwaway it's not joke, throwaway. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth it'll pay no bills whatsoever no bill maybe our maybe our like uh internet bill our drinking no. tab maybe that definitely not might that. cover that i'm not sure definitely not well i think your books have grown up uh along with the audience just not quite in the way that that audience member was talking about i think they have uh uh you know changed and morphed as we've been saying with history with everything that's going on and I just love that you're 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 continuing to tell the story that you you know latched onto you know back in 1988 and and is continuing to 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 reinvent and uh, yes. uh and and entertain uh folks throughout all this it's it's funny to me because there was a there was an article a few years ago that was talking about racism and fantasy and all this stuff and they kind of took some shots at me and I was like but I was talking about it and I felt really kind of bad. You know? And I was on the phone with an old editor, well, on Zoom call, actually, with an old editor who had a project that he's working on and asked me if I'd be interested. And then we were just catching up because I hadn't talked to this guy in like several years. We used to be very tight when, when I was with his publisher. Now he's got his own publishing company. Uh, and um, he said to me, he goes, you know what amazes me is that you've been quietly writing some of the most progressive books for 33 years. Because he says, when I go back and I look at the Dritz books and I compare it to the stuff that was out there, the, the themes you were touching on are all the themes that we're seeing now. I said, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being thank a you. good thank reader. Thank my dad. Yeah, he's, the one that brought, he's the one that gave this to me. Oh, that's amazing. And I think you're right, you know, and, uh, you know, it's continuing to tell more and more and interesting stories and uh, I'm here for it. And I got to get to my backlog so that I can finally <laughs> get get up to speed with what's happening. But you mentioned, you know, being 10 years old and my, my daughter is 10 and she's a avid reader. And I've been meaning to be like, you know, I've said it a couple of times, but I'm going to more uh, distinctly point it out being like, you know, I have your books on my shelf here. Like you should start with with Crystal Shard, get into it and see see what you think about reading uh, some of Bob's books. I had the coolest experience this year. We went out to California and picked up my 11-year-old and 5-year-old grandson 
and took him back with us for a week. And then Brian and his wife flew out to stay with us for a week. And then they all went back home. And when we got on the plane, my 11-year-old grandson was, I'm not going to say his name because he's a private kid, was reading, uh, what book was he on? He was on, I think he was on, he was reading Sojourn. I think he was mm-hmm. on Sojourn. He just started Sojourn. By the time he left here, he had read Sojourn, the Icewind Dale trilogy, and was finishing up the court, the legacy of the Drow Quartet. Oh, he was here my for, God. He was here for like 11 days. And he went through like eight books. <laughs> oh, my God. That's yeah. That, you know how that, that felt awesome. Yeah, because then does, does he, was he looking want to at talk me to like, you about him? These. My grandson. Yeah, how cool is that? Now but I he, feel like he didn't know you wrote those. No, he he always knew I had written the books, oh. and he's a really good reader. But um, Brian had held off giving him the books until he was 10, 11. You know, they wanted to make sure he was ready for him. So he did like Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, he did he did the whole progression and after Harry Potter, and he, he was doing a lot of the Reardon books, uh, the Rick Reardon books, which mm-hmm. he I think he read them all. And, and it just, as a grandfather, it was like, cause I remember when I first wrote that first book, I wasn't trying to be published. I just wanted something that one of my kids, if I ever had kids would give to one of my grandkids and say, you want to know more about your grandfather? Stop and I it. had that experience this year. So does and he it, talk to you about the books after? Is he like, Oh God, no. <laughs> he just reads them. Kind of gives you a little side. He eye reads them and talks to his dad and my wife about them, but he doesn't talk, he doesn't to, talk to you about them. No. No. I wonder what I'd be in because you know how we were talking about reading is subjective and depending on you as a person, you can pick up on different themes and it can mean different things. I would be very curious from to hear like what a 10 or an 11 year old picks up from some of those those earlier books, especially given what world um, they I live hear that in every now. Day on, I hear that all the time from PMs and emails and all of that. But um, he's, he's really enjoying them and that makes me very happy. That well, is, maybe he'll maybe he'll write you a Amazon review or something. Well, I mean, the really amazing thing is what you know. If he be, if he's a reader now, there's a good chance he might be a writer as I well. It's in the genes, that, yeah. so you know that'd be really amazing too. That you're inspiring. Uh, One new of my best friends, his son wrote me a wrote me a letter, a fan letter, when his son was like twelve. Oh, and he wrote me a fan letter and said. Dear Mr. Salvatore, and it was him and his friend that wrote the letter. You really shouldn't have killed Chewbacca. I'm very <laughs> mad at you. I don't know that I want to come swimming at your pool anymore. Whoa, he must have been really mad. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I'm going so to. Great. I'm going to come swim in your pool, but just know that I'm very angry when I'm in there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Mrs. Every, every- Salvatore has to bring me the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Every you cannonball is like for Chewbacca. He's <laughs> <laughs> a Disney everywhere. princess now. It's all good. Oh my God. <laughs> that's all right. There's a, I, I hear that there's something else that Star Wars fans are mad out now. So I think you're you're in the clear. Maybe maybe I'll take a reprieve. Yeah, I think Troy Denning took a lot of the heat off of me when he went in there and did some killing. <laughs> 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 uh, thanks, Troy. Yeah, you got this, Troy. <laughs> I knew I liked him. Yeah. Well, as always, it's amazing checking in with you and hearing uh, about your process and and uh, what's happening with Drist. I hope people uh, have already enjoyed Starlight Enclave, but if not, grab it, get it on Audible. We know everyone loves uh, uh, hearing it. 
portrayed in that way. So uh, give a listen and, and see. Still what's got happening. some copies if you want a signed copy at rasalvastore.com. Uh, yeah. And I know you don't want people to be. Joke? It I, it's the best. And, and it was and a mom it, joke, if I was, remember no, correctly. No, no, no. I came up with that. Oh, I thought Diane came up with I that. No, I came up with that. Gino spit his coke out. Uh, <laughs> Diane went, oh, my God. And That's then she how you know. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. That's how you know it's good. <laughs> no, she didn't say, oh, my God. Oh, no, my that God. you got to do the eye roll. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'll her go eyes. register After it she picked now. her eyes off the floor, put them back in. Yeah, maybe I used it. I mean, well, at least awesome. it's copy copyrightable, you know, right? No one else can use that. That's for sure. Uh, hey, e-signing is copyrighted. I own the copyright on the term e-sign. Really? Seriously? That's awesome. I didn't yeah. know that. When, when my brother got sick and couldn't work, I started a little company called Seven Swords. We did a module for Wizards of the Coast called the Accursed Tower. And we did like the Quake ID Arena. Um quake arena game we did the responses for the bad guys so if you miss them they taunt you if you hit them they laugh at you <laughs> um but we did we had to come up with like a thousand sayings for the bad guys and um we did other things like that and i was looking for ways to just keep the company nobody was making any money but just to make a little bit of income to keep it going because it was costing money to keep it going people were all working we had seven people working mm-hmm. i was just doing it for my brother because he couldn't go to work anymore and um i had this idea like how about if I, you know, this internet thing, suppose we said people, Hey, I'll sign a book with, I'll put your name in it. What do you want? I'll sign your book. Happy birthday, Joe. Right. Whatever. And so we copyrighted the term e-sign. Wow. And the only reason I copyrighted the term was to, because I had a feeling that if I didn't, one of these companies was going to, and then they were Somebody not going to let authors use it. So dear authors, feel free to use it. I don't care. <laughs> nice. I only did it to bury it. <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, well, yeah, then go to rasalvastore.com, get your e-signing, uh, and uh, where else can people you know, find out uh, you know, news about what's going on in, in your world, uh, Bob? Um, well, R, R-A Salvatore, R underscore A underscore, blue check mark Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, capital R, capital A Salvatore on on Facebook, not the one with the little A, the one with the big A, big A, uh, on Facebook. But I don't, I don't. Whenever I have anything going on, I post it. But again, I, I try, I try to resist social media now. I, I'll, I answer PMs. I, I'm way behind, but I'm getting, I'm getting through them. It's, it's two hours a day to catch up now. Um, I answer, you know, I, I respond on Twitter. I, I, I try to, I try to keep that up. I've been doing it since I started and was answering letters. I try to keep that up. If somebody asks you something or somebody says hi, you should say hi back. That's just the way I was raised. And I kind of enjoy it anyway, because writing is a, is, is a, it can be a lonely job. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, I'm out there. Not Sweet. as much as I used to be, thank God. I, I broke the habit. Well, now um, you're in control, which I I'm which in I control. Appreciate. I am in control. Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks, Bob. Uh, you're the best. Say hi to Diane and everybody for us. I absolutely will. And um, hopefully as this next year, I'll be up there. Yes. Hopefully. I, I, Let's I, go with that. I can't wait to get back up there. I miss you guys. I haven't been up there. And you know, I, I went to that we haven't either. <laughs> I went to that licensing meeting two years ago, uh, 2019, the licensing. And I had a blast. And then I came in the office for a day and I got to catch up with everybody. And it was like the best day ever. And, um, you know. 
do you, do you know how much time you got? Time gets short. Don't don't take it for granted day by day. I'm not trying to be morbid, no, but I want to live dreads. my life. And part of living my life is getting back up there and 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 you know getting to hug your friends up at Wizards of the Coast. I miss you guys. I miss so, you too. You are hopefully with this Delta thing, we'll burn out. We'll get enough people vaccinated or whatever, or enough people will get through it, and this thing will burn out, and we can start living a community, you know, in the community again. Because Zoom calls are okay. It's convenient when I'm doing Dragon Talk, but I'd rather be sitting in the studio with you guys. Us Agreed. too. So yeah. here's hoping. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, here's hoping. And uh, until then, cheers. Cheers. I'm so excited that you all got to uh, get Bob Salvatore's advice column, uh, audio advice column here <laughs> on Dragon Talk. Uh, listen to everything he says, even though he's deflecting and say don't. Uh, I actually, I actually think he's got some important ideas. I think that was good advice. I really do. And I also think that Bob is crazy when he says, "I don't know how many more books I've got in me." Listening <laughs> to him talk in great detail, you can see like. You can see the wheels turning as he's talking about the stories and the backstories and the this. And like it goes in this direction and that direction. Bob, I'm going to guess that you've got a lot more stories in you. So lucky us because we want to read them. He has been saying that almost as long as you've been saying that you're going to DM. It, we're basically, yes, on uh, neck and neck there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll see who gets there first. Uh, and who I, stops writing or who starts DMing. Oh, well, I hope if I start DMing, it doesn't make him stop writing because then that would be a very bad thing. Because um, that, that's how reality works. It is. It's it a does. zero sum. In the Feywild, that's how it works. It could. Who, how do you know we're even in reality right now, Greg? This is the Matrix. I've said if, it time and again. What if my DMing is so powerful that I actually pull you into the world in real life? But is wow, it real life? Or I actually kind of love that idea. What if it does? We all beware just got sucked of, into Shelly's reality. Beware of vacuum cleaners. <laughs> beware of the vacuum cleaners. <laughs> We're in the inside bag. But everybody talks like birds. <laughs> Oh my God, it's just like Momo and Bert and C-3PO oh, all hanging oh out my, together. Oh, my God. And I think we are close to adding Miss Piggy to that list because I've been, been dropping working. some Miss Piggy hard. impressions on Quint. I will tell you, uh, I, I had to do an interview without you while you were on vacation. It was oh, sad. I yeah. cried a lot. Um, yeah. And uh, one of our guests was very sad that they didn't get to hear any of your impressions. They were, they were like going to cue you up for impressions. Oh my god! I maybe you I guys could just... won't hear this interview for a little while, but <laughs> maybe I could there. do maybe I could do like a cameo. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> That's exactly the joke that we made. Was like oh seriously, we got to get Shelly her own cameo service so she could do that for people. My pigeons, five bucks. <laughs> Five bucks, I'll give you your own My Pigeons. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's from The Vault. Oh, dear. The, oh. the My Pigeon one is so, that's like from 2016, <laughs> I feel like. Oh. Very early vintage Back Dragon Talk. Yeah. Well, we will mention all of these and more in our uh, Dragon Talk book that we're, we're writing and hopefully need to finish in the next month or uh, so. That's, yeah, actually, let's wrap this up. So yeah, because we, we got to go. get to that. <laughs> we got work to do. We got work to do. Um, so, yeah. Follow along and join in all of the fun here on Dragon Talk. We appreciate everybody who has listened to us for so many years. Uh, I don't think we say that enough, but it is fantastic that we have so many folks who have been on this journey with us for so many years, and we thank you. 
Uh, if you want to leave us a note or uh, get in touch with us, the, probably the best way to do that is on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And I am at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to find out about what's going on in the world of D&D, there's DungeonsAndDragons.com. There's Dragon Plus, an app that you can download onto your phone to get tons of preview content coming at you every two months. There's also that content on DragonMag.com, or you can sign up for our newsletter. I should say and. And you should sign up for yes. our newsletter. The link for that is on the show notes below this very episode. Get excited for The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos coming out. Get excited. In September, October, and November, respectively. Jeez. And in the meantime, let's find out what's going on in a little town called Waterdeep, where a hapless tabaxi by the name of Drunky Two Shoes has just saved, uh, a wisdom save, getting away from three registered members of the Watchful Order of Magists and Protectors after she had given some uh, minor illusions, perhaps some in the shape of a middle finger upraised in their direction uh, and or available for party sign. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're running off after the carriage that you had hired uh, that still holds Daryl Two Shoes and Samson the Fighter. And you're running down that street. Behind you, you hear the uh, wizard that you were talking to say, Stop that cat! You're running. What do you do? Daryl! Samson! Can I see them? Are they like... Uh, yeah, they, they're, they're, actually the cart is about to turn a corner. Uh, but you yell out mm-hmm. that and uh, you see the cart kind of uh, pull up quickly and Samson... Sticks his head out and says, "When did you fall off? Hurry up!" He didn't even notice that I fell off. You were you were busy doing stuff up above. It's only oh. a few seconds have passed. Only okay. Oh, okay. I, I can I jump back on? Yeah, it's about uh, two hundred feet away. He's yelling oh. at you from there. I'm running. I'm running. running. Okay. I'm a cat and I'm fast. All right. And you're, you are you using uh, what was that quickness? My, plus my feline right? agility. Well, yeah. that's only when I'm in combat. Am I in combat? Uh, yeah, you have that I'm ability. being pursued. So let's, You're being pursued. Okay. Right, yeah, exactly. so I, can, I have double movement, double speed. Okay. Uh, so you're going super fast. Uh, you, are, you, what does uh, Drunky look like when she's running? Like a beautiful cheetah racing through the jungle. <sighs> she's <sighs> long and lean and muscular and fast. The wind blows her little whiskers. Her ears go back. Her amulet is like flying behind her. Damn, she looks good. She uh, does. So you, you, you travel uh, about 100 feet. You're only about 100 feet away from the cart now. And Samson's like, come on, hurry up. And Daryl is behind him being like, what are you waiting for? I'm um, not. And then all of a sudden uh, oh, you oh. see a brick wall in front of you. Five feet. You got to stop now or you're going to run right into it. How tall is it? It's uh, six feet tall. I'm going to jump it. You're going to jump? Yep. Okay. Uh, what do I have to do here? Let's see if Roll I Roll me an athletics strength check. God damn it. I knew you were going to say that. Are you going to try and jump over it like a high <gasps> jump? or A 20! 
You rolled a 20? Yes! Nice. Okay, how did you want to jump over it? Do you want to, like, feet uh, still pointed down, or do you want to do it like a high jump, trying to pole vault type thing? Yes, or like a hurdle, like a very tall hurdle. Like a very tall hurdle. Okay. Yes. And then All right, so it's even like a little like slow-mo as I'm going over. You leap up into the air and you look fantastic uh, doing it. Uh, it's because of a 20, you just your your grace and agility is on display. Uh, and you soar over this barrier uh, immediately. Uh, and then kind of get and you you jump onto the the back of the cart. Um, and you look behind you, and the wall isn't there. Did you guys see that? See what? Those clowns tried to stop me. They put a brick wall up. It was was it just an illusion? Y- yes. Uh, I could have busted you, through like the Kool Aid Man. <laughs> you bust through it like the, well, you jumped over it like a Kool Aid Man. How cool um, was that, though? Come on, you guys. How cool was that? That looked good. Yeah. Uh, the driver says, "Should I go now?" Yes. All right, so he snaps the reins and the the uh, carriage moves <laughs> off and uh, you, see, you look back behind you and you see those three wizards, uh, again, an elf, a human, and a halfling okay. kind of running up and they're stopping watching you get away. So I'd like to do my them. own minor illusion. Yeah. And I'm going to create a brick wall in front of them, but I'm going to spray paint it with graffiti that says, Later, suckers! <laughs> <laughs> You do that. It's a five foot uh, uh, wall right in front of them, and says "Later, suckers." Yeah, they're casting their own magic. Um, and then you hear a very loud voice. Even as you're going away, you can hear it over the thunderous uh, hooves of the of the horse who's pulling the cart and the moving and all that. And even in the hustle and bustle of the city, uh, a voice that says, "Return." To be registered under the watchful order of mages and protectors, or you shall be destroyed. It's very loud. Throughout uh, the whole city? It, it's projected towards where you were. Oh, oh, okay. We gotta go. All right, and that's it. Damn. We'll pick it up next time as you guys are speeding away. Okay. Thank God for minor illusion. Thank. I love that the minor illusion is used as an FU throughout this uh, <laughs> sequence. Also as an advertisement for my party services. <laughs> <laughs> I might have a little lucrative side hustle doing You got a that. side job here. You don't know. Uh, and maybe yeah. you want to settle down in Waterdeep and start a family. I'm not feeling like Waterdeep's where Drunky's going to settle down. Well, we shall see. Cats don't like water. Or Especially deeps. deep water. But they <laughs> like drinking and there's a lot of things to drink here. If it was like booze deep... Yeah, we'd stick around. <laughs> Why don't you find found your own city of booze deep? <laughs> oh man, let's get uh, let's get the D and D studio on the on the horn. We got a new new setting that we need to come up with. Yep, definitely. Yeah.